Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us just like that. The final hour of Outkick 360's Thursday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Thanks for joining us. Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360, at Outkick for more. And uh, do the same on Instagram. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel where we'll have videos posted every day, clips from the show. You can also stream the show live there. And uh, we say hello to all of our great radio partners across the network, including Sports Radio 104.7 and Fox Sports Shoals as well. Um, plenty to Dylan to. Taylor was listening to us on yeah. Sports Radio 104.7 recently. Loud and clear, he said. Yeah, awesome. Uh, great to be on there. One of our, our great stations. We uh, we'll have Trey Wallace join us from Outkick.com. Talk some SEC headlines with him. That's coming up in about 20 minutes. Um, NFL schedule release will be out in roughly three hours, and I'd say 50 percent of the schedule is already known. If you can piece things together based on the full schedule that's been leaked from the New York Giants. There have been a couple of other teams as well. And all of the national TV games that are either out currently or will be out prior to 7 o'clock. Plus, we'll know the first home opponent for every team in about an hour or so. Um, the home opener for each team in about uh, an hour or so. So we'll, we'll keep you uh, updated as news comes out for uh, certain teams, uh, both uh, locally, nationally, big big marquee matchups. Um, and, and looking at the offseason, Chad, we briefly... Uh, touched on this either yesterday or the day before um, NFL year two players who have seen the most the, the most significant upgrade around them based on what these these teams have done in the offseason and it's interesting on offense it's not just quarterbacks who are going to benefit the most we, we discussed last week uh, Justin Fields and, and what or what the the more in better case situation what the what the Bears have not done around him this offseason focusing more on their defense uh, through free agency in the draft. Uh, meanwhile, Jacksonville has gone above and beyond to specifically address the offense. It, you can disagree with what they've done, but you can't say they haven't done anything to enhance the talent around Trevor Lawrence. They have done everything from sign, uh, identify, and go out and get the guy they wanted in Christian Kirk at wide receiver. Again, you can disagree with whether or not he's worth the money and he's going to succeed there and within that offense. But they identified him on day one of free agency and went and got him. They've signed two offensive linemen. They've brought back Cam Robinson on a, a long-term extension. They've identified um, help at the receiver and tight end spot, solidified the offensive line, and they have a good running back coming back in James Robinson. And Travis Etienne, who's who back didn't healthy, play yeah. as a rookie. I mean, the only thing that you could say that they did not do was go offense early in their draft. You know, with, with Jacksonville, they, they focused on the defense more in the draft. But you're right. I mean, there's no, no real excuses uh, for Trevor Lawrence other than, you know, he's going to have actual offensive coaching now, <laughs> you would think, which is an adjustment. 
based on what Urban Meyer was bringing to the table. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones is a free agent signing. I think LaVishka Chenault is in Jacksonville now. Or, no, not LaVishka. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Laquan Treadwell. Sorry. Yeah. LaVishka Treadwell. Chenault moved Evan on. Ingram. Evan Ingram is their new tight end, starting tight end that they've signed, who's essentially a wideout uh, for what he did in, in New York with the Giants. They drafted Snoop Connor out of Ole Miss, which is odd based on where they selected him, a bit higher than where most people thought he should go. But 220 pounds at 5'10", he's going to deliver a punch. I don't know how often because you have James Robinson, but he, he's involved in the you offense. Got some depth too. there. Um, Zach Wilson uh, goes without saying the, the talent that they've put around him at the wide receiver position. They did that through the draft and free agency. Uh, they've helped him out some on the offensive line. Uh, it's hard not to look at what the Jets have done and think that they are significantly better around their second-year quarterback. Absolutely. And, uh, and they've also got a couple of other sophomores. Elijah Moore um, yeah. is, is a sophomore who had a pretty good-looking uh, rookie year. Uh, Corey Davis is a sophomore in their, in their system. Um, so I, I, people love what the Jets did, and uh, I, I love what the Jets did. It's hard to buy into the Jets because they're the Jets. That's the number one reason not to buy into the Jets. But it's a new regime. The GM has done his part in player acquisition. Oh, yeah. Now can the coach and the coaching staff do their parts and make these pieces work in a division that has a dominant team? Again, it's not the same dominant team, but the Bills, we talked about last week, Super Bowl favorites, AFC favorites, um, but there's room there. You should be on equal footing with Miami, who's done a lot of the same things around their young quarterback. Uh, they have a new coach. You should be a little bit ahead of them system-wise, for sure, year ahead. Um, I think the Jets are an intriguing team this year. I'd rather see them on prime time. We were joking earlier uh, a bunch of times than, than Chicago. Uh, there's more intrigue to the Jets. Now, are the Jets likely to suffer a bad injury, uh, you know, for to, to do something stupid, all of that? Yeah, it's in their DNA, right? But let's, let's look but on just, paper. Let's specifically just the draft, what they were able to accomplish for Zach Wilson. You get arguably the best receiver in this class in Garrett Wilson. You get, from what I saw, the top of the running back board in Brees Hall from Iowa State to add to the backfield. You get Jeremy Ruckert, who's one of the top tight ends and Garrett Wilson's teammate at Ohio State. Um, when I see that level of draft investment, makes me believe, boy, they really believe in Zach Wilson. And that, it's the opposite we get with the Bears and Justin Fields. We can talk about another second-year player, Trey Lance, and the 49ers also. I'm not convinced, based on what's going on around him, that they're full believers in Trey Lance. And whether that's the truth or not, when you make these decisions to add – and go all in on helping with players and roster moves that's going to support your quarterback, I immediately think, well, they actually believe in this second-year player fully. I don't know if it says they believe in him or not. I, I think it says they're going to maximize his chance to show he's the guy. If he doesn't show he's the guy, you know you've got talent around him. So if Zach Wilson, uh, is, equi if Zach Wilson is equipped to be good in the NFL, he can be good in the NFL based on what surrounds him now. If he's not good this year, then two years in, you're at a point where you can assess. Okay. Uh, all right, going into year three, do we see enough out of him to continue on or do we have to start to think he's not the guy? Because the excuses that Zach Wilson will have are not going to be about he didn't have sufficient 
pass catchers around him. He didn't have sufficient running backs behind him. And the offensive line, uh, you know, they've invested in, in the last two years. You've got some questions with Becton, um, who needs to, to step up and show that he's committed, that he's got his injuries and his weight under control and his commitment under control. But there are enough pieces around him, I agree, Chad, to see if Zach Wilson is what you thought he was when you drafted him. That's the case with a lot of these young quarterbacks now. Um, if, if he's not good this year, it's going to be mostly because of him, not because, oh, look, the receivers weren't open, the receivers didn't run the right route. Look, he's playing with JV receivers, that kind of thing. Well, they brought back one of his best assets last year in Braxton Berrios. They extended his contract by two years. So he did not leave in free agency. And then they brought in one of Joe Burrow's uh, targets at tight end and C.J. Uzuma. He's, he's their starting tight end he's now. He's a good player. Uh, Jack Conklin. or No, not Jack Conklin. His, uh, the other Conklin, the tight end. Uh, there's a, another uh, who's in Minnesota. He's now Jake, maybe. He's now with uh, the Jets as a as a reserve tight end. They've addressed some of the backup issues, some swing tackles and swing guards uh, on the inside of their offensive line too. Uh, Greg Zerline's now their starting kicker um, with the New York Jets. So they've they've added some assets that should help out their second year quarterback. Tyler Conklin. Tyler Conklin. Yeah, there he's you go. a good player. Look, um, they got Uzoma, Conklin, Ruckert. I mean, that's a nice depth chart. At yeah, tight that's end. great for a young quarterback. Um, and, and look, they tried to do more. And he's I got think, Joe Flacco behind him. I don't love Joe Flacco, but compared to what they had last year behind him, if he goes down, Zach Wilson, for a game or two, uh, Joe Flacco, I would think, can get uh, certainly is going to be better than, uh, was it Mike White, who was the number two last year? He's the number three now. That was one of the worst backup situations in the league last year. Well, Mike White may be the backup again. The only reason that Joe Flacco remains there is because they traded for him last year in an associate, uh, uh, atrocious uh, trade. Late. Yeah. Um, they, they traded for him to get him back on their roster after letting him go in free agency. And they did it because of injuries at the position. They had to go get someone that knew their offense and could play it immediately well, without they should, camp. They should stick with so him. So they've, they've given up a draft pick now to, to re-sign Flacco, and they just inherited the contract that he had signed elsewhere. So Philly, I think. Yeah, so they... They had, to, they had to keep him based on the investment that they made. Um, and they wanted to invest more at wide receiver. I buy the reports that they were yeah, they active were in, the in AJ Brown. trying to get uh, the big-time receiver to join with what they've put together. So th they tried to do even more than what we're discussing. I think that's important to note. Um, Jalen Waddell, with the addition of Tyreek Hill and the other factor, they, they've revamped or tried to revamp the run game. I don't revamp the wrong word because they didn't have a run game last year, but they've, they've added pieces in free agency to the run game in Miami. Um, we, uh, Jacecki is back at tight end for Miami. They have, and I, I think he was a franchise tag player. Jalen Waddell, who was already a star his rookie year now has legitimate pieces around him that should allow him to make more plays moving forward, more protection for the quarterback, in Tua, they brought in Teron Armstead at left tackle. Um, they signed Connor Williams at guard. That should enhance the play of the offense. And Tyreek Hill and, and Jalen Waddell combined make for the fastest tandem of wide receivers that we're going to see with the football in their hands. I, I look at two teams, Miami and Philadelphia, and I think these are two teams that have set things up where there are zero excuses for their quarterback, for their young quarterbacks. 
and two guys who played it that were teammates together at Alabama. Tua and Jalen Hurts, they've been given every possible thing from their team that you could do in an offseason to put the onus on them to produce and show that they're a franchise quarterback. I feel that way about both guys. I feel that both teams might be looking for another guy next year. Depends on Mike McDaniel. It's a huge risk-reward there. I mean, I think Mike McDaniel's going to be good. I just think Tua comes up a little bit short of what you want in an NFL quarterback. And then that may very well be the case. Um, I mean, they, they also would love for Tom Brady to come to South Beach. Yep. I mean, who knows? Who knows what happens there? Um, but keep in mind, McDaniel was, was the run game coordinator in San Francisco, and they've added three backs, uh, including a former uh, 49er running back, Raheem Mostert, Chase Edmonds, the former Cardinals running back is there, and there's one other uh, running back that they have in, in uh, like a, a trio there. Um, I'm intrigued to see how they set up their offense because you can also give the football to Jalen Waddell and to Tyreek Hill in multiple ways in that fashion. Najee Harris is one that we haven't talked about much. Um, Sonny Michelle. Is Sonny Michelle. There you go. They just recently signed him. Um, but Najee Harris now with a young quarterback, he's going to get the football. He got the football quite a bit last year out of the backfield. But he's going to be used more uh, with more attention paid to the offensive line, used more in, in the run game. He should enhance his, his overall run stats there. I think he's used exactly the same, if not more, in the pass game because of the young quarterback that they're eventually going to turn to if they're not going to give him the, the football immediately uh, in Kenny Pickett. Or it's Mitchell Trubisky who's going to be doing the same thing. Um, I don't know. I, I think we've, we've slept on Najee Harris a bit he was outstanding as a rookie, and I think we, we, I'm looking forward to seeing him do a lot more than just the 73 receptions that he had last year out of the backfield. I, I like him as a choice. My question is, their offensive line was a problem last year. And they've added, um, they've added James Mason Daniels. Cole and James Daniels. Is that enough? Um, you know, they had a chance maybe to go get Mike Munchak, who mm. – yeah. I don't think he's in a league right now. I think he wanted to stay west. Denver uh, let him go, which was a surprise, and a new coaching staff. I think most of his family is out west, and my understanding was that he wanted to kind of stay out west. I don't know if Pittsburgh put a hard sell on him or not. Um, but I don't know if that's enough on the offensive line, and I think Harris is a good player. I agree with you. He's going to get the ball more because they're not going to want their rookie or Trubisky to – to do more, they're going to want them to do less. Um, but I don't know if they did enough on the offensive line to get where they need to be, and that's my biggest question about the Steelers' offense and what I'm going to be watching the most. Any honorable mentions, Paul? Yeah, I, I was thinking last night because I knew we were doing this about who on defense might fit this bill, and I thought of a couple of guys, and then when I looked up what teams had done around them, I really settled on one, um, Asante Samuel. So if you go and look at the Chargers, and you guys know I'm, I'm overly in love with the Chargers, but they added J.C. Jackson, who's the best corner out there from New England. So Asante Samuel's got a running mate now. They added Khalil Mack, who adds to a good pass rush already. They drafted J.T. Woods, the safety from Baylor, who might be the nickel. So you could have Asante Samuel, J.C. Jackson, and J.T. Woods on the field together in a nickel package. Kyle Van Noy, who you know what you're going to get, you know, 
And uh, Austin Johnson, who is a run-stop help, as well as some other defensive tackles who aren't you know, terrific guys but are better than what they had, five of their top 12 defenders could be new guys. And Asante Samuel had a pretty good first campaign. He's the kind of guy that strikes me as uh, a guy who would elevate it as a sophomore. Some guys kind of uh, sophomore season get lost, and some guys, yep. as we're talking about here, elevate in their sophomore season. I think Asante Samuel's primed to have a big second year surrounded by better people on defense on what I think is a rising team that has a, a quarterback who I think is going to be the next real attention-getting breakout guy and well, take his team to the playoffs. I think he's primed for real success. I, I was a little bit behind you guys on, on them last year making the playoffs. If Jalen Hurts and Tua, this is a prove-it year. To me, the Chargers, it's a prove-it year for everyone. Uh, and I, I like Herbert, too. Don't get me wrong. But I think this is, with what they've done this offseason, I agree with you, Paul. I think this is a big year for them, and they're in a very, very tough division. I think, yeah, and you and I, we're, we're picking. I know you have them at least third in that division because you and I both picked Denver to, to take a little while and to finish last um, in, the, in the AFC West first go-round. So um, I, I may be wrong about where the charges are overall, but I think Asante Samuel's in a very good situation for a second. Should year. also put Joe Burrow in this mix uh, because they have done a lot of structural work to their offensive line in free agency. Center, right guard, right tackle, all new yeah. and I mean, veterans. The Burrow and Jamar Chase both uh, getting a, an opportunity. Jamar Chase now going into year number two uh, with more protection for his quarterback. Which it's is easy huge. to, now they to lose. leave them out because they were yeah. so good last year. Yeah, but I mean, they, they're the team that was ahead of schedule last year um, when they're on the same track as the Chargers. The Chargers should be right on schedule to do and make a postseason run this year coming up. Uh, similar to what we saw from the Bengals last year. We're going to measure those two teams against each other. One big difference between the two. Uh, the, the Bengals could stop the run. The Chargers cannot. That's the big issue with the Los Angeles Chargers. Can they stop the run? Because they sucked at it last year. And they brought in Jayon, uh, no, not Jayon Brown. They brought in, Brown's in uh, Vegas. Austin um, Johnson, for one. They brought in a Kyle couple. Kyle Van Noy. Yes, they brought in a couple of uh, run stoppers, but I don't know how consistent those players are. Um, but they got a lot more depth, a lot of more guy, a lot more guys to uh, to go at it with. Um, Gerard Davis would have been a, a guy I, I I feel certain they would have taken a stab at. Let, let's see defensive line here. Um, oh, and linebacker Who's Sebastian Joseph Day is is a guy. Um, their inside linebackers are Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil. Uh, Troy Reader they added from Los Angeles Rams. Is, is not a bad player. But they're going at it more with numbers than with names. And that was the huge issue. And again, their, their coach is defensive-minded. Keep that in mind, too. So uh, maybe they've addressed it with Christian their coaching. Christian Covington. Uh, maybe they've addressed it more with their coaching than they are. Um, you're naming some guys who will be inactive. Um, Christian Covington is going to be lucky to play four games next year. Well, he was somebody that brought in. He's, he's new. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't playing for Houston. <laughs> you know, he's inactive for Houston. Came from Cincinnati most recently. Um, coming up, Trey Wallace will join us. We will discuss the SEC headlines. We will get into our conversation with Marsha Blackburn, and he's been covering this NIL angle as well with Greg Sankey's uh, trip to Capitol Hill. All of that and more, and future scheduling with Trey Wallace. Next, and now Kick 360. 
What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. The show rolls on. Outkick 360 continues from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Trey Wallace with us from Outkick.com. Covers the SEC and college athletics for the site. You can read his columns now at Outkick.com. Trey, hope you're doing well, man. Guys, good afternoon to you. Y'all have had a busy day so far. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Thanks for the the schedule uh, adjustment with uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn on the show discussing NIL. What have you made of your conversations and uh, reporting at Outkick through Commissioner Sankey's visit to Capitol Hill and maybe the timeline that we're on with all this? You know, I, I think a lot of it has to do, Jonathan, with with trying to get federal legislation when it comes to this NIL. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, them having the conversation and going to Washington, it, it, it wasn't for show per se. I honestly think that they're in a situation right now where you look around the, the, the big time conferences, the power five conferences, let's just say, and they're trying to regulate. They're trying to figure out ways to do things that the NCAA cannot do or will not do when it comes to enforcing NIL. So that next step is trying to figure out a federal way to to handle this because you've seen so many states come up with their own types of laws when it comes to NIL. It makes it and it's going to make it very hard for the NCAA uh, to try to enforce it. And, and I think that's where you can get into some of the lawsuits that are going to be brought up if the NCAA tries to you know, mess with any kind of eligibility per se or, or go after a certain school. I, I think that them trying to get the ball rolling in Washington is a smart thing to do, but I also think it's going to take a pretty long time because on both sides, there's different arguments. And, and you know, one side wants to tell, okay, well, these, these student athletes should be employees at these universities. They should be classified. One side says, no, that, that shouldn't be the case. Um, we got to try to regulate this NIL when it comes to what certain states can do and cannot do. So I think there's a lot of arguments that are going to be going on over this, over the next couple months, you know, year, whatnot. And I think they were just trying to find some answers and get some people on their side. And um, a small part of that, Jonathan, was also, let's do this for show, too. Let, let's go up there and, you know. Biggle around with some Congress people and, and, and see how it plays out and some senators. 
Well, speaking of doing stuff for show, uh, the NCAA came out and said that they're going to retroactively go after schools that set up any type of deal with a, a recruit before they got on campus. Trey, you talk to a lot of people. Is anyone scared of the NCAA? Has this forced action from anyone to say, okay, we're going to hold tight or we're going to completely reverse course on some things because we actually believe the NCAA could do something here? They're not scared. They're not scared of what the, you know, the NCAA saying, oh, we're going to go back 10 months and we're going to look in the transaction that – that you know maybe stand out a little bit more than others. I think that you're going to see. First off, don't expect to see any more of these like big deals play out through social media. Um, I, I think that's done. Period. Um, maybe there's an outlier or two, but that's fine. But I, I don't think that they're going to flaunt these type of deals anymore uh, that are being made. I think that when you look at it from a university standpoint, in you know Tennessee passed a law where you know, the university can can have contact with, um, you know, NIL groups or whatnot, and, and coaches can somewhat get involved in how that kind of plays out. I think you'll maybe see a little bit of a buffer room between that, and that kind of goes on the state of Florida, Alabama as well, different parts. But I, I don't think overall that they're scared. And in talking with multiple people in the last week about this, from the SEC all the way up to the NCAA and the Big 12 Conference, they're not scared of what the NCAA is going to do because they understand that these collectives or these folks that are involved in NIL, these management groups, they have really good lawyers. And their contracts are pretty airtight when it comes to certain ways that uh, payments will be made towards student athletes. So I, I don't think there's anybody scared. I think they're kind of laughing at the NCAA in a sense, like, hey, you're going to try to come back and do something Look into something from 10 months ago where you had no guidelines set up besides the booster thing, which we can all agree the booster rule has always been in there. Nothing's new about that part when it comes to inducements or getting a player on campus. But if you look at it overall, I think that they're saying, okay, good luck trying. Like trying to come after us or trying to come after the eligibility is just not going to work. You're going to be tied up in, in, in court for years. And you know what? The NCAA can't take any more hits than they are right now. And, and you know, Chad, I don't, I don't care if a change in leadership is coming or whatnot with Mark Emmerich. I, I think the NCAA has already dug its own grave. Now they're just trying to find a way to say, okay, let's stay active in this. Let's be a part of this, but they're not going to really be able to do anything. Let's talk football scheduling. The ACC uh, contemplating a change as early as 2023. You, you'd be in a group of three. You'd play your two every year, and then you'd play one set of five one year, the other set of five the next year. How equitable would that turn out in your eyes? And would other conferences like the SEC get on a similar track eventually? I, th I think, you know, what we're, what we're about to see in the next week or so, I think, is that the NCAA is going to uh, pass uh, a rule that says, look, you don't have to have divisions to have a conference championship. Now, do conferences like the SEC or Big 12 or whatnot follow along? Um, I don't know. That's up for discussion because the SEC could go to that pod format uh, that's been talked a lot about a lot. The ACC... A little bit different, like something that stood out to me and I wrote about it this week. You know, I didn't know, I didn't really look into it. Florida State and Virginia Tech, pretty big teams in the ACC. 
The last time Florida State has traveled to Blacksburg to play a game was 2012. Wow. That can't happen. It, it cannot be like that when it comes to college football and two great schools like that, and especially a venue like, you know, Lane Stadium in Blacksburg. You know, we look at it from the, the other point of view, too. North Carolina State and Wake Forest, they had not played, like, home games and whatnot in so long that they decided that in 2019 and 2021, they were going to play each other, but it was going to be classified as a non-conference game just so they could play each other. So you see how bad it had gotten in the ACC when it comes to some of these matchups. That'd be like saying, that'd be like saying, hey, Tennessee, you haven't played in Tuscaloosa in nine years. How do you think that would go down? That, that, that would be making airwaves every single week, every single year when it comes to college football scheduling. You know, so I, I look at it in a sense of, I think it's better um, to go to, to a format like the ACC is doing if, if that gets more of these big games involved, because especially at these venues, there's not a lot of venues like Lane Stadium in Blacksburg um, and, and having to force teams to play non-conference schedules, which, by the way, means you're giving up and you're not you're not doing a payday. So you're not getting an easy win on your schedule. You got to go play somebody that's technically already in your conference. So that part's going to be interesting to me, Paul, how that goes forward. And with the SEC, if they go pod format, four teams each pod, four pods, trying to figure out who will play who and where they're going to be at home and home, I think that could work. I just think they're going to have to figure out once Texas and Oklahoma join the conference, they're just going to have to figure out how these pods would work in locations. Trey, you wrote it out, Kick, that Nick Saban denies the allegations that Alabama tampered uh, with the Louisville transfer receiver Tyler Harrell. I can't help but laugh at Scott Satterfield saying, you know, I've got no evidence of this, but I'm pretty sure tampering uh, took place with this, with this transfer. Trey, couldn't you say that about literally every recruit, every transfer out there? College football is tampering. College sports is ta- – that's, that's what they do to attract talent is you tamper. And now that there's a transfer portal out there, that's all the sport is. I, I laughed at – and I'm not one always siding with Nick Saban – but I laughed at Scott Satterfield making that statement that, you know, I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure tampering happened in this case. What, what did you make of, of that accusation? Yeah, let me go after Nick Saban in Alabama. It's not like Alabama has anything else to offer. So let me just go after Saban and say their staff was tampering to get one of our players. And do we think Scott Satterfield might tamper uh, with some wide receiver at another school that, that may be thinking about transferring through his coaches? I mean, that is the name of the game. I don't know why any coach – would even make that accusation at this point. And if people out there that are watching right now are going to watch later or listen to this later, if they don't understand how this really works, and I'll break it down real quick, you've got a player on one team. Let's just say you have a player on Alabama's team that is friends with a player on Louisville's team, or you have some kind of connection through a high school coach, you know, through that player, and that player wants somewhere else to play and grow his game and whatnot. That's where the third parties come in. That's how these players end up at other schools. Yes, you see it a lot of times where a player will hit the transfer portal and then two days later, he's already got a school lined up. Well, it's not like they're going to risk, the university is going to risk, you know what, let's have an assistant coach call this player who's not in the portal and let's get him signed up. Let's get him down to Alabama or wherever. That, that, you can get caught pretty easily doing that part 
So that's why you use third parties. Every school does this. It's, it is nothing new. Like it, in, in everything that's going on, all an assistant coach has to do is say, hey, man, aren't you from the same area as this guy? Aren't you, weren't you in the same recruiting class as this kid? Like you got to know him, right? You know him. Okay, go call him and tell him we'd be interested. And if you went to the transfer portal, we'd be interested if you could come play for us. That's how tampering works. So it's not like Nick Saban's picking up the darn phone and saying, hey, kid, come play here. It's not how it works. They go through intermediaries. So Scott Satterfield, I think he was just looking for something to complain about and probably agitated he lost one of his star wide receivers, just like Pat Narduzzi was at, at Pittsburgh. But it's it's not tampering. It's third party. And you know what? That, that can be classified in many different ways, Chad. Early discussions uh, happening for sure. But, uh, Trey, I know you wrote on this at OutKick. What are the odds that Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC prior to that that uh, that deal that's been worked out, which is, what, 2025, I believe, with the Big yeah. 12? What are the odds that yeah. they, they join the Southeastern Conference prior to that? I think a lot earlier, and I think a lot earlier because of, well, two things. They want to get into the conference, and they want to start making the SEC money. Uh, the other thing, too, is the fact that the Big 12 um, has already agreed to add four more members that could potentially join by 2023 or after the 2023 season. Meaning, and I'm right off the top of my head, it was BYU, UCF, um, and two more. I completely blanked right then. But what I'm getting at is it's going to make it a lot easier for Oklahoma and Texas to dip out um, and say, okay, we're good. We're going to pay whatever buyout fee, and it's a lot of money. It's upwards of $70 million per school. But I think that you know the, the SEC and the ESPN contract that they're about to have, that's going to play into it. The money's going to be there, and they've got money anyway, so they'll be fine to pay that buyout and get out of it. I think some one of the biggest news to come out last night was Chris Del Conte, Texas um, athletic director, comes out and says, you know, the Longhorn Network's done. Like, we're done with it. And everything that you know, went into it, he made a joke about how now it's the History Channel because there's nothing recent to show about Texas athletics uh, that would intrigue folks. And I, I, that right there is another sign of, okay, they're getting ready to go. And I think it's before 2025 for them, you know, for him to come out and, and talk about the Longhorn Network, who ESPN paid a lot of money to. And if you remember, that kind of kept away the Pac-12 from coming after Texas. It kind of messed up some alignment within the Big 12 as well once Texas launched their own network. So, you know, I honestly think that this thing could – they could be joining the conference maybe a year early, maybe 2024, if things play out in a weird way. And we saw it play out last summer when they joined the conference. They got accepted. Uh, maybe they come in after next season. You just never know. And if, and if the Big 12 is ready to go and, and those two teams pay their buyouts, maybe they can get in. But right now the hard date is, is 2025, and they're getting rid of the Longhorn Network. They're going to just put that into the SEC Network and go with it. So I think it's going to be sooner rather than later, Jonathan. The four entering the Big 12, Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, and Houston. And yes. um, are, are the figures correct that if, if Oklahoma and Texas want to join early, they'd pay $76 million to get out of that deal? Yes. Yes. That is, that is exactly correct. Um, so it's, it's – <laughs> It's a lot of money. Yeah. But let's, let's also not forget, though, Jonathan, how much more these teams, these these schools are about to receive with this new TV contract as well. 
So we're not just talking about revenue that the Southeastern Conference makes every year. We're also talking about the TV contract that, that, the, that the conference signed with, with the four-letter network. So you add into all that, and then you add in, you know, if you want to pay it off, you know, a little sooner, you, you can. So Texas and Oklahoma, they have the money. And if they want to join early and they can get through all the figures with the Big 12, then I think you will see them join early. But that, that money figure, I know it looks staggering, but, um, but, I, but I think they can afford it, and I think you might see them earlier. 11 SEC guys going to the NBA draft combine. How many guys help themselves at this thing annually to a point where it makes a, a real tangible difference for them? You know, Paul, I mean, I, I'd probably say maybe three to four. Um, you know, we'll see what Shaden Sharp does, uh, the Kentucky player. And it's hard to say Kentucky player because he's never played at Kentucky. Um, I think a player like Jalen Williams from Arkansas, he can help himself out. Kennedy Chandler is going to help himself out uh, from Tennessee at the Combine. I really do think that that he'll move up a couple spots if he goes up there and performs well. But everybody has seen him play. Um, so, uh, you know, when you, when you look at it overall, I think with the 11 players that are in there right now, you know, I, I think Ellis from Alabama is somebody else that, that can take that next step. Maybe Davidson as well from Alabama. You know, so I think that here's, here's what – Scotty Pippen Jr. is a name that stands out to me, Paul. And I think you guys all watched him play this season. He is the type of player that's going to benefit from the draft combine invite uh, because he was so good this year at Vanderbilt. But let's see him, you know, get in there. Let's see what he, he can do up against. You know, they're going to play five on five at times. You know, there's it's like the it's just like the NFL combine. So you get in there and you see what he can do, his lengths, his you know stuff he's kind of kept private besides being at Vanderbilt. I think he's the type of player that can increase his draft stock um, if, if that's the route completely that he goes down. And don't forget, too, these players have the options. The ones that have not signed with agents and taken money and whatnot, they do have the option of coming back to college. So if they don't like what happens in Chicago next week, you could see – I would I would probably say three to four, five of these players maybe return to college just because the money might, might not be there. So Rick Barnes shows he still has a little bit of recruiting magic. Julian Phillips earlier today, a five-star player from South Carolina, commits to Tennessee over Auburn and the G League. And a report coming out just now, Trey, from On3 Sports that he was offered an $800,000 contract from the NBA's G League Ignite program that he turned down to go to Tennessee. Um, so your thoughts on Julian Phillips turning down that $800,000 contract and going to play for Rick Barnes in Tennessee. I think that, uh, Tennessee did pretty well to make life comfortable in Knoxville for him while he's going to be here. Um, that one or two years, he's probably going to be in Tennessee before he goes pro. Look, let's be honest. He's he's probably going to be on campus for what, eight months, you know, including, that's what we think. You know, that's how we think how these five starts kind of play out. I think Brandon Hundley Hatfield would have probably thought the same thing last year. But I think that Tennessee, look, Tennessee did a really good job of getting in on him once he decommitted. Um, Coach Ganey on their roster did a really good job with, with Julian Phillips. And the, the connection that he had with Triple J, Josiah Jordan James, I think went a long way, too, to make him comfortable. Because if he was not going to go professional, okay, then what's the best college for me. And I think that connection that he has, you know, he's spoken a lot with BJ Edwards, with Josiah Jordan James, you know, 
that South Carolina connection. Um, they, they spoke this morning. Um, so you you look at it overall, what Rick Barnes is able to do. I think a lot of it has to do with the way Tennessee plays and the fact that Julian Phillips is going to be able to come in. And to me, he looks like somebody like Jabari Smith from Auburn. That's what he looks like to me and how he plays his game. Now we'll see if that transitions to on the court at Tennessee. But the fact that they've got Muscovy now, Triple J, you got Zakai Ziegler, you got BJ Edwards. Now you can figure out, you know, your post uh, and how you want to play that, whether it's Jonas Adu or Olivier Comois or Euros. But you add this piece to the puzzle, and I think it's very big for Tennessee when it comes to scoring because we saw – what did we see last year? We saw Tennessee go on like 10-minute scoring droughts that drove everybody absolutely crazy. I think with a player like Julian Phillips, he can clamp that down, knock that out in a heartbeat, and this is something that Tennessee needed. And uh, if he got some nice NIL money uh, on, on top of it, good for the kid. He deserves it. Trey, great coverage as always, man. We appreciate you. Thanks, Trey. Thank you. Guys, y'all have a great weekend. Thank y'all. Trey Wallace, outkick.com for more there. Coming up, I feel like I will do the impossible. I feel confident in this. The NHL. Chad, I'm going to make you interested in watching the NHL Oh, I can't wait. It is the most compelling playoff game that the NHL has had in years. I'll explain why next on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Suns and Mavs tonight. Close out potential there for Phoenix. We'll see what happens. Pump up Suns. Suns are favored by two points on the road in Dallas, where Dallas took two earlier in the series. Outkick 360 rolls on. Guys, it's nearly impossible to get people in a non-hockey market when their team's not playing to tune in, right? I'm about to give you the reason why I'll be watching the NHL and the Stanley Cup playoffs tonight. He's giving us money to bet on the games. Um, it's the most compelling matchup that the NHL has had in years because of Toronto. Toronto is the epicenter of hockey, and they have been awful in recent years, and then in recent year, in, in, in past years, and then in recent years they have teased their fan base. Even last year, where they have a nice run, and then they fail. They, they bow out in the first round of the postseason. They have one of the best stars in the league in Austin Matthews. John Tavares is there. Nylander is a, is a star as well. They've gone through goalies. They've gone through coaches. They've gone through management changes. And here they are um, trying to get out of the opening round. They have a 3-2 series lead over Tampa Bay, the back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. They're in Tampa tonight with a chance to either – win and advance to the next round where Toronto's going to be on fire. By the way, the scene in Calgary last night, you, you, everyone wants to brag about Nashville being a hockey town for a Stanley Cup run. First round of the playoffs, Plaza packed with outdoor people for a home game watching Calgary last night. Um, here's Toronto with a 3-2 series lead. If they lose, if Tampa Bay, who has been there, done that, faced adversity, they've won back-to-back crowns, they know what pressure is and how to handle it. Um, if they win and return serve, game seven Saturday in Toronto. 
where the Maple Leafs have a chance to advance. Um, look, I, that's as much tension in a non-Stanley Cup playoff game as you can have, and it happens tonight in Tampa. That's the reason to watch. I'm sold. Uh, I, I really want to see the game in Toronto if yeah, they win seven. tonight. Well, either way, or, or if win. they lose and go to a game seven uh, to see them again in Toronto. But yeah, I'm I'm in. I love the color combination on the ice of some of these playoff series. This sounds very weird, but when I'm watching TV in the background at night, I love watching Rangers, Penguins, in the or what? How did Ben Ben Penguins. Penguins. Uh, the Penguins is what uh, Benedict Cumberbatch said. Uh, love watching that, and I love watching Stars Flames for the same reason. The green versus the red and gold, for whatever reason, really draws the eye to the screen when you see those teams going head-to-head. That's what I've liked about the playoffs so far. Uh, you mentioned Nashville. What I have not liked about the playoffs was the city of Nashville and Preds fans showing themselves to be a very fair-weather city when it comes to their hockey team. I don't blame them. For not getting excited about that series, but attendance for those two home games were horrible, and you will not see that in true hockey markets. Yeah, it wasn't much to go see. I mean, if they're not forcing you to buy the tickets, I don't know that I would have made a big investment as a season ticket holder. And they've got some decisions to make that might not keep me a season ticket holder. Uh, no doubt. If, if I was one. But. Crossroads there. Uh, the scene last night for round one in Calgary is all Edmonton. Uh, they were stunned when L.A. won in overtime. They, L.A. takes a 3-2 series lead back into game six, now in L.A. with the Kings uh, taking on the Oilers. But again, uh, Toronto, the epicenter, with a chance to close it out and advance past the first round with young talent. Do we know where stars. that game is being played? I mean, where, what network it's on tonight? Look at me sounding like a fan that doesn't know how to check. It's I'm looking at it right now. It's or one of the It's e's. TBS or TNT, I'm it's guessing. It's a 6.30 start locally. Or just nice and early. Yeah, the girls will be watch fired it be up. on TSN. <laughs> no, it'll be it'll be the Turner uh, broadcast. It's on Sky Sports out of London. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to be live outside in the beer garden for the Friday show here at Sixth and Peabody. Oh, can't wait. Shane Beamer is on tomorrow's show. The head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Looking forward to chatting with him. Bobby Carpenter will be on the show. PK will let us know about Malik Willis's debut in a Titans uniform at rookie minicamp. All of that and more on the Friday edition of Outkick 360 starting at 2 o'clock Central. Do not block the box and do lock your locks.